Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 273. Oh, that's a huge number. And it's the first one of 2020. Uh, So with number 273, we will recognize UC Davis out of the Big West Conference. They finished number 273 in the final Division I rankings for 2019 out of a total of 333 Division I women's varsity soccer programs. I, I, I shared that number as a way to remind everyone just how many women are playing Division I soccer. And that doesn't even count Division II programs, NAIA, junior college, etc. So anyone who gets selected in next week's NWSL draft, you have to look at them as one, extremely lucky, lucky and two, very talented uh, and keep in mind, anyone who doesn't get selected still has a shot. You know, just ask 2019 Rookie of the Year, Bethany Balser. All right. So two chats today. First with my friend Neil Morris, based in North Carolina. He covers soccer for WRALsportsfan.com. Neil and I talked a lot about North Carolina's plans for 2020, uh, some of their draft history, but we also talked about Amanda Duffy's move to Orlando from her role as NWSL president and some other big and trending NWSL topics. Then I caught up with Meg Kinneman, former pro goalkeeper in NWSL. She also played briefly in Europe about her transition from playing to coaching and what advice she has for the players who are coming out of the college ranks now. And then I've added a new segment. I'm considering adding this, including this every week. It's called Jen's Planning. And each segment will explain off the field rules or procedures in soccer, specifically women's soccer, or maybe look at a bit of history to illuminate why things are done or have been done a certain way. This week, I review a few of the NWSL college draft rules. Please let me know what you think about this segment. Just send me an email at keeper at keepernotes.com. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the first podcast chat of 2020. And that would be with my buddy, Neil Morris from North Carolina, from WARLsportsfan.com. Did I get it right, Neil? Uh, you did get that right, but I'm, I didn't realize I was uh, occupying that superlative status. So I'm very <laughs> pleased. Now. Well, especially after a, a couple weeks off, it's like, oh, yeah, I need to schedule some podcast chats. And I was thinking, you know, hasn't been any news. Who do I talk to? And I was like, well, let, let's start at the top. Let's, let's talk to North Carolina about, you know, what, you know, how do you follow a, a you know, a second straight title? Um, and then this week we're only what it's only Tuesday afternoon and this week has already been crazy. Yes, that's right. So yeah, there's, there's news. (laughs) Yeah. There's actually news. The off season that could have happened in, you know, November and December is now all happening in the 10 days leading up to the draft next week. So, so let's start local. Let's start talking about North Carolina. Um, You know, we didn't have expansion in the off season. We thought, we were going to see Sacramento came in, come in. It, it you know came down to the wire right before Christmas, and the league finally said, "Yeah, it's not happening." But if that had happened, it would have put North Carolina in the position of losing at least one of its four allocated players because you know you can't protect them all in the draft, and obviously you don't want to lose a great player and get no value for it. But now they're basically going into 2020 with their their roster intact from from the yep. championship game. So, you know, so so what's what do you think Paul Riley's game plan is going into the draft and going into 2020? Uh, well, it, it, sort of the setup is exactly what you said. I mean, they they were bracing for losing a, a high-end uh, allocated player, more than likely either. Uh, and I, I have a feeling I know which player it would have been, but I don't want to get into that. But yeah. it obviously would have been either Sam U.S. Crystal Dunn or Abby Dahlkamper. Um, now, at least they don't have to do that for 2020. You know, there's, a, there's a whole lot of stuff that's going to potentially happen in 2021, but we don't need to go there yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But speaking to courage officials, they just like you said, they feel like they're in a great position for 2020. Insofar as 
They have their roster. Uh, not much more needs to be said about the roster uh, itself. Uh, the players are, in some cases, I think, are, are getting better. Uh, you have you essentially have three courage players who have taken over the the W League uh, this off season, which is kind of incredible. Right. Uh, and and so they they feel like they are in the the enviable position of not having to do anything, which which does matter because we're seeing a lot of moves. You talked about the news, but there's been even before this. Week. You've seen a lot of a lot of teams that are, are are making moves, which, depending on how you view it, are are either a sign of 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 improving your team, or or on the other end of the spectrum, uh, a desperate need to try to do something. Uh, and I guess it depends on how these players shake out, but uh, in places like Utah and, and Washington. Um, but as far as getting you know, getting better, the the courage don't feel like there's any move they have to make unless right. a good uh, unless a good deal comes their way. You know, they 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 made a trade yesterday of of giving up the number nine and number eighteen picks in exchange for Chicago's number six. And I I asked a a courage official why did why did you decide to do that? And he said because we could. I mean, <laughs> uh, Chicago needed a, a second round pick to sweeten up the Ohio deal, and the courage were like. Well, we don't really care about the 18 pick, and frankly, we don't even really care about the nine. So, we're more than happy to give those away for a number six and, and move up. And so, the, the, going into the draft, I mean, there are certainly there's certainly things that the Courage are, are on the lookout for uh, if if deals come their way and they can improve their roster. Which, you know, the interesting thing of the Courage is that while they don't feel like they have to make any moves, they more than any team are willing to make big moves if they think it will help their team. Uh, so that's the that's the paradox. And so they're always willing to, to do that, and they're always willing to part with significant pieces if they believe it will help the team. But if a good deal doesn't come their way, they're more than happy to sit still. The other thing is that, you know, the irony about the courage and the draft is there's probably no team that owes their success more to the NWSL draft than the courage slash flash. But there's also few, but there's also but there's also few teams who have utilized their draft picks the last three years uh, less than the courage. Um, yeah, they've drafted 13 players over the last three years, and I was actually doing some math last night. Those 13 players have accounted for about two percent of the starts over the last three regular seasons. They have not utilized their draft picks because they they're stacked. Uh, Ashley Hatch played a lot, a lot in 2017. And then they traded her. Uh, Darian Jenkins got healthy and played about a, uh, a baker's dozens worth of games in 2018. They traded her. That's what they're doing. If they can, if they can play players enough to to uh, assign value to them, right. and then flip those for other picks, that's what they're doing. Otherwise, most of their draft picks, even if they make the roster, are not playing very much. Well, and I want to go back to the draft picks you're referencing from the Flash era, the 2015 draft, four first-round picks, all of whom are still with the club, all of whom are starters for all the playoff games. So Abby Dalkemper, Samantha Mewis, Jalen Hinkle, Lynn Williams. I mean, that, you know, that, that draft five years ago this month. And, you know, I think back to that draft, that was the first draft that I attended I knew who, who Mewis was. I did not know Hinkle. I did not know Dahl Kemper, other than she had played for the 2013 UCLA, UCLA team, didn't know Lynn Williams. And now these are all household names, right? And, and I kind of wonder if Washington Spirits draft from last year, where they had you know Sam Staub, Jordan DiBiase, Tegan McGrady, Dorian Bailey in the first round, could end up coming pretty close. I don't think I don't think we're going to see a draft class like that again. But to me, I, I think that's probably the closest we'll have, where someone having four first round picks that all get time for the club. You know, they, we all we saw all those players get significant minutes for Spirit last year, and you know, and you know, could see time uh, with the national team in, in the future. But but back to North Carolina, I mean when it's been so hard to break into the roster and then you add in again with the contraction of Boston at the beginning of the 2018 season, it meant that, you know, 
they could pick up, you know, they, they picked up Julie King and Alicia Chapman, right? So of course they're going to have, they had a better shot at playing than, than any draft pick, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of what you have to do, uh, you know, with the draft. And, and, and I think, um, end of your cell is at a interesting stage where the draft is really useful for some teams, not so much for other teams. I think it's, Every year, I mean, this is what, this is the fifth year that, that you know, I've, I've worked the draft and, and it's, it, every year it seems like, this is so crazy. I don't know who's going to go in the top, you know, but after, after yeah. you do a lot of the research, you kind of get a sense of who will probably fall somewhere in, in the top 10. But I do feel like there's so much talent out there and we tend to assign assign greater value to a player because of what school she plays for and underestimate a player who maybe didn't, you know, get signed by a, by a big school when she was 15 or 16, that yep. it's, I think the draft ends up, sh- ends up showing us long-term which coaches are really good at coaching in terms of what do they do with those second, third, and fourth round picks? I guess that's long-term I think is going to be uh, of much more value. Well, I agree. Several, several thoughts, you know, in, in regards to just the draft itself, um, you know, a lot of the movement we're seeing amongst teams right now trying to grab players from, from hither and thither. I mean, a lot of that is because while there are, while there are some who believe that this is a, a deep draft as far as potential, uh, I've also heard people describe that, you know, with, with Castellanos not in it and Fleming probably not in it and, and Macario not in it and, you know, maybe a few others will get in it, uh, that in general it's being seen as a, as a quote-unquote weak draft. And we've had several of those in a row. Um, you know, t- for a, I wrote an article about the Courage's 2015 draft, and I talked with Charlie Namo, who's been around this this scene for a long time. And, you know, the point he made is that you can say that you want to rebuild your team and strip everything down, but, you know, but you've got to have a good draft to do it. And right. that, 2015, that 2015 draft, he was directly plugged into because he knew most of the players, and he knew that was a deep draft. And, you know, when I was talking to him, he said the only other draft that that rivaled it as far as talent depth was the, was the 2010 WPS draft, where it was oh, Tobin yeah. Heath and Lauren Chaney and Kelly O'Hara and Whitney Ingen and Nikki Washington and Nikki Marshall yes. and Brittany Taylor. And, yes, I that's mean, a Alyssa, great one. Alyssa, Alyssa Nair was number 11. Ashlyn Harris was 19. So, yeah. I mean, oh, that's that a, was I'm a, glad you brought that up. Everyone needs to look that one up on Wikipedia, Wikipedia the 2010 WPS draft. <laughs> Yeah, and then Charlie just says that's the king of drafts. And but the 2015, yeah. he says was 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 up there as far as the, the players he really wanted. And that doesn't come around all the time. And and so that's that's the tough thing of trying to rebuild through through the draft. Now, if you could find diamonds in the rough, that's great. Of course, for them to work out, you have to have the the, the roster space and the minutes to play them. And getting back to the courage, you know. I think there was room for for some players to play because of, of World Cup players going abroad, and you know the same thing may happen with the Olympics this year. So that's the opportunity that that would present itself. But uh, but 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 apart from that, uh, North Carolina North Carolina again is in a position where they don't feel like they have to do anything, but they're always on the lookout for for, for them and are willing to do something. Yeah, always the team you want to call and go, hey, we've got this. What do you got? <laughs> well, and the one thing they do have, and now, again, you've got to make it worth their while. Right. But, well, I think what we're, what we're seeing is you see a lot of pieces being shuffled around, but there's only a handful of teams that have tradable assets. Um, again, I'll go back to the conversation with, with Namo a few months ago. You know, it used to be that you, know, you could trade players – Eight through fifteen, and get something for them. His point is that with the lack of expansion, we've got a whole lot of eight through fifteen players out there. You don't need to trade for them. You know, players one through eight will always get value, or one through ten. So you have to be willing to part with someone to get something. And if you're not willing to do it, or if you don't have the assets to do it, you're sort of stuck. And and that's the situation where you've got a dearth, I mean, not a dearth, you've got a surplus of, of, of 
second-tier players, so much so that they don't attract value unless you're just shuffling you know, pieces. Uh, but if you really want to go out and, and get some, some, some blue chips, uh, you're going to have to be willing to part with people at the top of your roster for one reason or another, either because of you know, age or salary or, or whatever, or just, you know, dissatisfaction. And that's, that's, that's how you get better. Uh, but there's only a handful of, this te- of teams in the league that really have the leverage to do that. North Carolina is one of them. Portland, as we've seen through rumors this week, is one of them. Chicago could be one of them, and somehow they're always able to gobble up picks. So you know, <laughs> those, are the te- those are the teams with, with tradable assets, and those are the ones that can go out and get the pieces, which – so it becomes a vicious cycle, uh, and whereas the teams without the assets have got to hope to get a little lucky. Well, Neil, tell me what you think of this um, since roster expansion at the beginning of last season where minimum went from 18 to 20, max from 20 to 22, plus teams could sign up to four uh, supplemental player spots. I think that gave a little breathing room, uh, you know, to teams like North Carolina and, and, and Portland where you didn't immediately have to jettison a player that had potential but maybe, you know, needed some time to get comfortable, right? You didn't have to make her stay around as an unpaid training player. She could actually, you know, use a, a supplemental spot. So how do you think that's maybe changed North Carolina's approach? Or maybe it hasn't. It's just kind of helped their their overall game plan uh, well i mean it certainly helped given the number of players they lost in the, for the world cup i mean they they lost six seven players i mean they they needed that kind of depth in order to to have players to just field an 18 so you know it became as basic as that um the additional roster spies I found to be extremely important because it, it accomplished what expansion hadn't, which is uh, you know, kind of releasing that that pressure valve of players not able to sort of break in because of a lack of spots. I mean, you know, the, the the best example that everybody loves to point to, but I think it's it's a, it's obviously a very illustrative example is Bethany Balder. I mean, she I think she started as a supplemental, yeah, um, and and ends up being rookie of the year. And so, you know, that's an example of a player that probably would have would have not gotten the chance, maybe. Uh, although you know the rain had enough injuries that, that she probably maybe she would have at some point. Yeah, true. But but that's an example of a player who who at least had the opportunity. And here's the thing: is even if they don't have an opportunity to stay with the club they're at, if they can if they can show out enough, you know, maybe they can go to another camp and 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 the the coach. You know, all of a sudden they've got a, few, a little bit of credentials, or the coach that they're trying to sign with has seen them. So it's just about building building up a resume in some cases. Which you know, I mean, you know, the courage. I mean, you know, again, there's probably many things at the heart of this. But you know, their first round pick in 2018, Franny Krause, didn't make it through the first year. So right. she left mid she left mid season because they couldn't give her a contract. I mean, right. That's, so that's what was going on, and you know, I think I think she scored she scored a, her first goal at Houston, and then she was gone by the end of the month. I mean, the that's only crazy player in league did. history to have a, a one goal per game ratio. <laughs> that's right, and then, she was go- <laughs> and then she was gone and out of the league before the end of the month. I mean, that's that's yeah. the nonsense that was where, going on. Where if it so. had been a year later, she would have had a supplemental spot, would have been able to pay be paid at, at minimum. Yeah, and, and housing provided, and yeah, yeah. Yep, that's exactly right. Well, let's move move outside of North Carolina and move on to uh, the big league news that we heard this week is Amanda Duffy stepping down as president. She's been president for a year. She's been basically functioning in the commissioner role since Jeff Plush left um, three years ago. And in a month, she's going to start – as I think it's executive vice president for the pride or, you know, a nice lofty title like that. I I think this one took us all by surprise that, you know, we knew that a commissioner search has been underway uh, for a few months. We knew it was very unlikely that Amanda Duffy would become the commissioner. I think we all assumed, especially when Louisville expansion was made official that that's where she might end up going because, hey, that's where she came from, right? 
Um, so this one, uh, this one caught me by surprise. But but what did you think when you heard the news? Well, as as Dan Valletta said on Twitter, it's complicated. So, I mean, I think that's probably the best way to describe it. It's complicated. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if there's any way to know precisely, I mean, despite what she may say, which is probably never going to be the true answer to the question. But, you know, maybe, I mean, it could be that she... You know, staying on for the rest of this year was not something she wasn't willing. Uh, wasn't something she was willing to do if she knew she wasn't going to be commissioner. Uh, you know, and at that point, you know, you're at the behest of, of someone else. If the if the board doesn't have the confidence in you, and you may be working under somebody else, even though you've been sort of the tertiary head of the league for three years, you know, you may not want to sit around for another year and deal with the, the and take the slings and arrows uh, yeah. that come with that with that job. Coupled with the, the real lack of of autonomous authority uh, that, that she that was always the case, and so if there's if you know, and who knows whether there's an opportunity in Louisville or not. I mean, they have a they have a front office head. I don't know if they need to bring right. in somebody else. Right. And apparently Orlando did. So. So yeah, so there's there's that. I mean, there's all kinds. Of, there's other ways to sort of spin it, but I don't want to go down a rabbit hole. But no, yeah, no. Uh, I, I think at the end of the day, it was probably a good opportunity with a with a with a big organization. Um, you know, she does, she has experience in Louisville, but she has she has a little bit of connection with with Orlando too, although it was with previous ownership. So um, she's not going to a place that that is totally foreign ground. And you know, if, if they're if they if she if she's being assigned a uh, sort of a high level of authority with the pride, uh, I can see why she would want that as a as a landing spot as opposed to staying where she is, making whatever she's making, knowing she's not going to get a top job that they're currently uh, interviewing for and then you know b- having to work under someone else and keep living in Chicago maybe that's just not something she wanted to do anymore well and I'm glad you brought up her Orlando connections because I had forgotten about that and, and just to be clear I didn't think that she would stick around with the league under the new commissioner I, I kind of assumed that you know, unlike what we've seen with expansion in the past round of your cell, that, you know, if she was going to be part of the Louisville group that, hey, you move her there now and you you actually mm. launch, right? Like one of the reasons I'm, I'm glad that they ultimately postponed expansion for Sacramento, it's like, it's just not enough time. And what I really hope to see is that we don't now have to wait till next November to hear about it, but that in the next few months that there is official announcement for... Sacramento and possibly another team if if they're going to go, you know, to, to to add three for twenty one. But whatever the decisions are, and I'm sure they're not going to be made until you have a commissioner on board. But it's like, yeah, let's finalize those so we don't go into another off season where, you know, coaches can't sign anybody because they don't know if like, well, wait, am I going to have a roster spot? Am I going to have to go an right. expansion draft? Is there going to be a national team available to me? I mean, there's so many questions to answer, especially when you think about if we do expand to two or three next year, like what does that do? You know, when you're talking about the subsidized national teamers, especially oh, when yeah. I guess, See, now, I guess yeah, you're going, now you're yeah. going way now, down the rabbit yeah. hole. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm going way down the rabbit hole. So yeah, there's, there's so many pieces with that, but I kind of assumed that, um, that she might move to Louisville, like within, within the next few months, but bottom line, it does make sense that you brought up that Florida connection where it's like, that is somewhere where she has, you know, some, some experience and Hey, you know, we got to say, um, you know, it's, it's nice when we can see, um, women getting named to some of these positions, right? Because with Orlando kind of going through a, a big front office house cleaning at the end of 2018. And so, you know, they, they had a coach very late, but not only that, but just like, I mean, and not just the pride, but Orlando city too, that there were a lot of vacant positions and, you know, they brought in Eric Ustruck, you know, former MLS player to be in, yeah. in charge of the pride. So it's, it's kind of great to have somebody with some experience 
Well, and maybe we presumed a little too much regarding Louisville. I mean, you know, the one thing, you know, the the, the, good, the bad thing about going to a team that's owned by MLS ownership or at least shares with MLS ownership is that you maybe feel like your second banana. The benefit yeah. is that you have your own fiefdom. It is its own, usually, although there are there are crossovers, but usually there there is a separate, you know, at least organizational unit outside of the men's team. The Louisville may be modeled more after the North Carolina model where it's, yes. it's the same staff. I mean, there there may be PR people who are more devoted to one team or the other, but, uh, you know, Kurt Johnson is president and general manager of both teams. Um, so maybe Louisville wasn't going to have a, a totally bifurcated uh, organizational construct, and this represents something where she has more autonomy, Maybe finally, uh, and and she's going to be in charge of a team by itself, and I could see how that would be more attractive. Uh, maybe there was an opportunity in Louisville, and even if there was, I mean, I know Louisville said they were going to have a separate head of the women's organization, but at some point, you know, there's there's go- as I've seen in, in the North Carolina experiment, there's there's going to be bleed over, so maybe there's more of a chance of of having more of a of a, of a stamp yeah. in Orlando. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, what about the other the other news that we've heard this week? So we've got uh, Kaleo High leaving Houston, heading to Chicago. Katie Naughton coming to Houston. Let's see, Rachel Daly has re-signed for Houston. We're hearing rumors of a big trade for the number one draft pick. Um, and as always, that that involves Portland. It seems like it was just four years ago that uh, Portland traded with Orlando to get the number one pick for 2016. And, and who did they take with that pick? But Emily Sonnet. And that's that's the name we're hearing. Yeah. Yeah, Steve Goff has put out, and, uh, and Steve's sources are always pretty accurate, that it's it's an and or of Sonnet and, and Midge Purse, and obviously Sonnet would be the more attractive get. If for no other reason than, at least for now, she's a subsidized player. That's always uh, an allocated player, so that's always a, a prize that, you, that you'd like to get if you're an organization and get the salary help. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, I can... Who are they trading up uh, to get is the other speculation. Now, I've talked to some people in the know, uh, and all of these things can change. But you know, the speculation that is Katarina Macario or Jesse Fleming, I think, is off base. I don't think either one of those players are getting into the draft. What I have heard is that Sophie Smith from Stanford. That's the one who who I think they have their eye on. That's the one that I that folks around the league believe. Uh, Portland has their eye on, and, and that's an interesting get because that's she obviously had a great uh, college cup, and in Portland desperately needs some uh, some attacking uh, help. And so, you know, what's interesting about the move, I think, from a more meta maybe not from a more meta point of view, is that Portland is looking around uh, and saying we have to improve. We cannot sit back on our existing roster and hope to catch North Carolina. I mean, that's that's what this move says, is that we, we are not good enough with what we have. And, the, and I actually respect that. I mean, I respect a team that's just, you know, it doesn't get paralyzed by wanting – you know, start when they start to refer to their players too much by their first name and don't want to part with them. I mean, that's when you get yourself in trouble. <laughs> I mean, it's true. And so, you know, when you, start, yeah. when, you, when you start, you know, I, you know, I don't want to lose Emily and Midge. Okay, well, you're going to get yeah. stuck. And so, if you've got an opportunity to go out and better yourself, then you you have to do it if 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 it's not going to compromise the rest of your unit. So I think that's what Portland is basically saying here. And I, and I respect them for making the move, regardless of how it, how it turns out. Uh, I suspect there's all kinds of other moves that are going to be out there. I mean, one obvious move that I think is going to happen before or during the draft is the, is uh, Haley Mace who was drafted second overall by Sky Blue last year, didn't come to play with them. By all indications, she still doesn't want to play with them. Uh, yet Sky Blue still uh, holds her rights, at least through uh, the beginning of the preseason. Uh, but certainly the more important time is that she they hold her rights right now. 
And so, you know, th- this is the time for Sky Blue to leverage that and trade her. And my understanding is that there are a number of teams that are trying to, to vie for, for her rights. Whether she turns out to be a great player, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who think she's got a lot of potential. You know, I've seen her play and I, I don't know. Um, but she's a good, she's a good get. And uh, if Sky Blue's not going to bring her or be able to bring her in, uh, she's. I'd be shocked if she wasn't traded uh, before or at the draft. It's just a matter of with whom and for whom. Right, right. And that's why, as, as I've heard many coaches describe it this way, this is silly season when, you know, you've got not only teams calling each other to look at trades, you've got, uh, agents and college coaches calling around saying, look at my player, look at my player. Um, I'm sure you've got players too within the league, just like, Hey, where am I right now? Do I want to be somewhere different? You know, um, what are my options? You know, and, and by that, you know, I, I think of Kaylee Ohio. I know that a lot of, um, dash fans were a little surprised. It's like, you know, there's the face of your franchise, but you know, she did, um, want to change and if she's going to have any shot at making the national team one more time you know you know a a new a a new scenario could be could be her last chance right and is she a luxury that houston needs i mean obviously houston needs a lot of pieces but but they they have uh, they have pl- attacking players. They have Mewis. They have Daly. They have uh, potentially Huerta, depending on where they play. Or, uh, they have players. Now, do they need Ohio, or is it worth trying to trade her for that reason and many others to, to get, for instance, defensive help, which is where they desperately need? Uh, I don't, is Katie Naughton going to be a great player? I don't know. Uh, but she's she's a solid player and so this is the time to do that and that's the kind of move that 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 Houston made it's the sort of move that it sounds like Portland is positioning to make uh and I would be surprised if we didn't see some more moves like that between now and and next Thursday yeah, it's yeah, it's silly season, but it's so great because we've had such a pretty, such a quiet off season. It's like finally things are happening, and here we are, just barely, you know, a week away from the draft. And you know, I I think every year I'm going to be this excited to you know say whatever season it is. Like we're going into our eighth season. You know, we we are yeah. we are we are already past the point of being twice as long, you know, or as long as the other two combined, right? You know, so it's it's a great place to be. And I think we're on that precipice of, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the transition from U.S. soccer. You know, we know what's going to happen. We know there's a lot of big decisions coming up for, for the owners. Um, and we're going into an Olympic year. So yeah. that affects everything as well, not just scheduling, but I'm sure, you know, the picks, the signings, you know, you want an international player who maybe their team didn't make the Olympics, you know, I, yeah. I would think that I would kind of think that like German players would be a hot commodity right now. Cause you know, Germany didn't make the, you know, the Olympics, uh, you know, or France, but again, that's kind of hard to get them over here. Um, you got all that and stuff happening it. in Spain and you know, FAWSL is going crazy. Yeah, and bringing it back to the courage for a moment, you know, not only do they have tradable assets if they see a deal that they'd like to make, but you know, a couple of other things. I think there's, unless I miss my guess, they're sitting with an internet, an empty international roster spot right now. They mm-hmm. have, they have three on their squad. Julius Bexmark's not coming back, so they've got a fourth. You know, they have an international spot sitting there that they could use when and if they they want to. Uh, and I've spoken to the Courage folks, and there's like, there's three players at the top of their draft board, and this, this kind of gives you an indication of the nature of the draft without the players that that I mentioned before, who I don't think are getting in. You know, the Courage have three players at the top of their draft, and then the mock drafts that I've seen, I've only seen one of those players on the on the list. So, I mean, that's that's the kind of draft we're dealing with, where you know, two of the three players at the top of the Courage's list aren't even being discussed in the top nine or eleven. So, um, 
that's that's it, that's why it's going to be. It may not be a sort of a name worthy draft, but it may be an, an interesting one as far as who ends up in those top six picks. And and one other thing about Sky Blue, I talked about how they're in an interesting position regarding the rights to Mace. They've also got, as of right now, they've got second and they got seven picks total, including the second and the third. I know. So, while we're talking about Houston making deals and what the Courage may pull off and Portland and Orlando, to me, and then of course Chicago sitting there with four first round picks. I mean, it's just a, a, a luxury of you know of everything. The, the the most interesting team to me is Sky Blue. Going Going in because they have the mace rights, they've got the two of the top three picks, and they've got an abundance of other sweetener picks, including I think three second round picks. So they're an interesting team in this draft. Who, who, if they want to, I mean, they could just use all their picks and accumulate players, and Lord knows maybe they need to, but they they're in a position to sort of upend this whole thing if they want to. Yeah, like I said, silly season. And I'm glad you, you brought me back to North Carolina because um, something else I wanted to to talk about, we can kind of end with this, is have you heard anything about plans for ICC for 2020? No, and I was thinking about that before we came on air. And yeah, it seems like we always talk about ICC when we have these conversations. <laughs> I, I, I have not, and it may be a little – it may be a tad early for that, although I don't right. know. But um, – but but it's a, it's it's a good question because number one, you know, given what I've heard about the the calendar this year, which it sounds like, uh, according to Meg Linhan, the, the schedule is going to the season is going to end in November. Uh, I am hearing a two maybe three week break for the Olympics. That makes um, sense. And and with, with the season starting more or less the same time it started yeah. last year. Yeah. So, so with that calendar being that way, you know, it may become even more difficult to, to squeeze an ICC into a team's schedule unless, you know, like last year, uh, North Carolina's able to convince, you know, Houston or somebody to, to shift some games around, which could happen. Um, I would hate to see there not be an ICC this year. Um because, as we have talked about on many occasions, uh, I think it has been one of the biggest boons for the courage the last two years. You know, the the first year, everybody scoffed at it. Nobody wanted to be in it. You know, the league didn't even want to talk about it. Media turned their nose up at it, and then it turned out to be this great. Uh, it, they, the Courage won a trophy, and they got a lot of attention and, and got a lot of marketing out of it. Last year, they hosted it, which was a financial so benefit better. to the team. Yeah, and, and to be able to watch it. Um, watch it. it yeah. was, I think that I think that Courage-Leon game was probably the best women's game I've seen all last year, outside of the World Cup, obviously. Um, but that was just a great game. Uh, and it was here. You were hosting – top level teams uh and the teams cared and and by the way the courage got the benefit of of being able to host it i mean there was a contractual benefit so i would hate to see there not to be an expansion of that if it's possible uh but to answer your direct question no i have i have not heard anything yet but it's funny you asked because i was thinking about that in in regards to the scheduling news that we've been hearing and I hope they don't take take a year off because, you know, just that growth from year one to year two. And, you know, we we were hearing last summer, you know, maybe making it an eight team tournament. You know, it's like it just I I think it it helps both sides. Right. Like Leon coming over here and, and us playing, you know, European teams. But anyway. well, there's a team there's a team in Washington State that may be interested in it this year. <laughs> <laughs> That's true as well. All right, got new owners. (laughs) And we didn't even get to that, but hey, we've covered a lot. Um, Neil, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. And um, I'm sure we'll be talking a lot as the 2020 NWSL season progresses. I certainly hope so. I look forward to watching you next week, I hope. All right, time for a little gensplaining. This is the first time I'm officially including gensplaining in the Mixone podcast. 
though I admit that I have already included a fair amount of gensplaining in the podcast over the years. So today I thought I'd go over a few of the key rules for the NWSL College Draft since the big event takes place next Thursday, January 16th in Baltimore. And yes, I will once again be part of the broadcast team. First rule to remember about the draft, any player coming out of an American college or high school who wants to play in NWSL in 2020 must declare for the draft. Players who don't are not eligible to play in NWSL until next year. Next, with the rule change made last year, players can now declare for the college draft before they've exhausted their NCAA eligibility. That rule change allowed Stanford's Tierna Davidson to be the number one overall pick last year before she had played her senior year with Stanford. And as the first to enjoy the rule change, we'll say Tierna gets the honor of having the rule named after her, at least unofficially. So the Davidson rule is what allows college underclassmen to be drafted, assuming they've declared for the draft, of course. And it also allows any player who's at least 18 years old to completely forego her college eligibility and declare for the draft. And so far for 2020, we do have at least one high schooler on the list of declared players. Now, players who get selected in the draft next week are guaranteed a spot in the preseason camp of the club that selected them. That's really all they're guaranteed. Being drafted does not mean a player has earned an NWSL contract. Now, if a player ends up being offered a contract by the club who drafted her, she can sign that contract or not. If she chooses not to, the club still retains her NWSL rights until the start of preseason the following year. So either the club trades her or she plays elsewhere, as in not an NWSL. A good example of this situation is defender Haley Mace out of UCLA. She was the number two overall pick last year, selected by Sky Blue, but she chose not to sign with the club despite being offered a contract. So she went to Sweden and later Australia to play, and Sky Blue still holds her rights because they had offered her a contract until preseason begins uh, this year in early March. So suffice to say, a few clubs are probably talking to Sky Blue right now about what they want in exchange for those rights. Of course, once we get to preseason, Sky Blue no longer holds her rights. Now, for players drafted who are not offered a contract, they become free agents who can then go try out for other NFL clubs or head abroad or do whatever they want. And for the large number of players who are not selected in the draft at all next week, they become free agents as soon as the draft is over. And cell phones will be pinging all over the place as NWSL head coaches invite non-draftees into camp for a preseason trial. This this happens a lot. Um, you know, think about Bethany Balser. Last year, uh, she declared for the draft, didn't get selected, got an invitation into Rain FC's camp. And the biggest thing to remember, as I said before, players coming out of college or high school must declare for the draft to be eligible this year. Otherwise, they have to wait till 2021. The reasoning behind this rule is mostly about maintaining league parity so that a college player can't skip the draft and then go sign with whatever team she wants. Um, a few years back, Dagny Brunier's daughter, she did not clear for the draft after she had finished up playing at Florida State, and she ended up sitting out the NWSL season despite Portland's interest in signing her. So I hope my gensplaining has been helpful most of these details are available on the roster rules link at the bottom of nwslsoccer.com homepage. And I hope everybody tunes in to the draft broadcast next Thursday, starting 11 a.m. Eastern. Just keep an eye on nwslsoccer.com and nwsl's Twitter feed for more details about the broadcast. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Meg Henneman, former Houston Dash goalkeeper, former LSU goalkeeper, and now assistant associate coach at Rice University. Assistant, yes. Assistant. 
someday. Someday, there we go. Coach at, at Rice University. But this is your third coaching gig, and I want to talk about what it's like to, one, have been a former varsity player coaching, but also having had that experience with NWSL, you know, coming into coaching, how that maybe affected you know, your development there. And then you've had at a very young age, the opportunity to coach at three very different schools, different conferences, different states, you know, and and want to hear about that. So let's, let's first go back to, so you played at LSU. Yep. You played for Brian Lee, who is now here head coach at at Rice University. Um, But did you know back then that, that you wanted to be a coach or that was like, who knows? I probably decided that I wanted to coach around my sophomore year of of college. I where did I start? I started taking some coaching courses. I switched to sports management and thought this is what I want to do. I had a, a goalkeeper coach, Tracy Noonan, that I worked for mm-hmm. a lot of summers, and I went to her camps, and I really liked how she dealt with players and individual development and all of that, that I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do, but I want to play as long as I can and then switch over to coaching at some point. And that's not just any goalkeeper. That is Tracy Noonan, formerly Tracy Ducar of the 1999 Women's World Cup team. Yeah. Yeah, She was a big, um, and has been, she's still a huge mentor for me, but just in how she can bring the best out of people and focuses on little details and her camps are she runs camps that are 12 goalkeepers in a camp and I mean you get an absurd amount of individual wow. attention and you leave with a three page well written evaluation on where you stand for and what you need to work on and where you need to go moving forward and so that helped me develop a ton but just breaking down goalkeepers that detailed uh, when I worked on her staff helped me get better so it was like great training for me as a player and then a ton to learn from coaching wise now as a goalkeeper have you run into people saying well you should be a goalkeeper coach Mm, not a ton to be honest I think sometimes you get stuck there like right now and really everywhere I've worked I coach the goalkeepers but then at LSU I got into a lot of like small we would do a lot of small group training and I'd work with all kinds of players but mostly like technical sessions for their position in our off seasons and occasionally I'd take like the back four to run a a functional group or and, and I can do that but I recognize that I need to go coach some youth teams and go run some <laughs> field sessions because I'm a part of coaching the team here of course mm-hmm. but it's different when you are okay we have a game on Saturday and this is what we need to do to build to play how we want to play for that game and be prepared and planning your sessions for a whole season it's very different well and so right out of college did you head into coaching I did not so right right out of college let's see I came to the dash tried out there first season first season and then second season started here and then went to Norway um to play for the second half of the season there Mm -hmm. kind of decided I think this is my time to get into coaching but through all of that I kind of was taking courses and I was running small group individual trainings anything I could get because I needed to make some money right uh so I was coaching all along the way in some capacity basically from my sophomore year of height of college to my second year of playing pro um and then it just kind of that off season I was like I I think this is my time to get into coaching and reached out to anyone I knew in coaching and was like hey I want to do college I think that's the age that I'd be best at what do you think and the UNC Greensboro job popped up and interviewed went over there and started there in May before the 2017 season I think and that's in the Southern Conference Southern Conference right so division one but not your most competitive yeah conference yeah and how long were you there before going back to your alma mater to work for Brian Lee I stayed for a season but it ended up being probably just short mm, a little over a year mm-hmm. yeah I went in July over to LSU before the next season so had a job opened up or just like yes the assistant coach at or associate head coach at LSU Debbie Hensley who was on staff when I played there as well mm-hmm. decided she was going to get out of coaching Brian gave me a call and was like hey we got this spot want to come back here's your chance like, let's go it's really all about the timing oh absolutely it is I've been really lucky probably in every spot it's just like growing up in Houston it's kind of 
surreal to be able to end up. No coach can say, I want to move back to my hometown and work at a Division One school, and boom, within four years, I'm back in my hometown coaching at a place that... So, but first you went from UNC Greensboro to LSU, so you're going from Southern Conference to SEC at your alma mater, yes. working with a coach you used to play for. Yes. So what was that transition like? Um, I think the it's interesting because when you work at a school in like the SOCON, for example, mm-hmm. your job responsibilities are different than your job responsibilities maybe at the SEC. There's the biggest things I learned in coaching from going to from a player to a coach is there's so many more things to deal with than okay, let's go to practice and get ready for the game. That's like not even in your top three probably. Um, <laughs> That's something the director of soccer operations worries about, right? Yes, definitely. <laughs> but we didn't have one of those director of soccer ops at um, UNC Greensboro. So I planned the trips. I did the meals. I, you know, I coached the goal. So you got to see the whole thing. Yes. And I'm really grateful because my boss there, Michael Cole, who is fantastic, he, like, let me see everything. He was like... Hey, yeah. This is how it works. Great, but we've got facilities, we've got marketing, we've got game day operations, we've got all of these things. There's a ton of other things to deal with before you actually can deal with practice, and And that's not even managing (laughs) the human beings that are in front of you. Um, So that helped me a ton going to LSU because I think you see a lot of bigger school power 65s assistants not that maybe like didn't have that experience not mm-hmm. recognize that there's all of these other things because I get to LSU and I mean I I'm coaching I'm recruiting I'm scouting and are there like paperwork things that I'm doing yes but I mean I'm, I'm booking my recruiting trips but our director of ops is dealing with like the receipts and submitting it to the business department I was spoiled rotten in what I was mainly just focusing on soccer um, recruiting, managing players, that kind of stuff, but take out all the other administration. Yeah, so that made my life. That was a big difference. Um, what else? And, and and then to have those two different working experiences yeah. and then to come to Rice. So Conference USA, which is somewhere between yeah. Southern Conference and, and SEC, obviously, um, back in your hometown. But... Um, you know, just talk about how those three programs, you know, what, I guess, I guess, so what, what would the goal be? Because like SEC, you have that expectation that you're going to win, right? Or that the, like, sure. like we're going to put everything into winning. The smaller conferences can't always do that. So how, you know, how does that affect your, your coaching and your, and your work? Yeah, that's interesting. I think it's, it's really interesting going from, school to school because even conferences are a big part of it but it's like the actual universities themselves you go from like UNC Greensboro which is like a mid-size school it's state school yeah state school you go to LSU state school humongous athletic department that money is a big deal and your football team, your baseball team, your basketball teams are a really big deal trying to make money and you might have access to their facilities, but you're not necessarily the priority. Like they want you to do well, but you're not necessarily, you're not football. You're not, that's just something you have to know. But then you come to a school like Rice where like we want to win for sure. Absolutely. But then you have got this academic component and the school is way smaller in size. So you're then trying to... So you don't have this pool of walk-ons that might be really good at soccer. (laughs) Yes, it's a little different. It's A lot of people want to come here, but you only have so many people that can get into the actual university. But you still want to maintain, and why we think it's a great job is we think you can become a top 25 athletics soccer school here, but there are different things to jump through to make that happen. So I've found more of the difference, I think, in the schools um, and kind of what that means for what you can achieve and, like, how you have to deal with some of the things around you, like the administration and the support you get. Like, I think we can be super successful here because the administration supports the women's sports so well. Um, But the conference is interesting, too, because I think – you can't recruit the same player necessarily to LSU that you can to Rice, and that doesn't mean either is better or worse. 
It is just... Based on who they're playing. Yes. And and the cachet around the name. Yes, absolutely. You're going to get, in the SEC specifically, like you might not be able to get some fantastic player to go there, or we might not choose to because they're not athletic enough. And that's unfortunate because I would love to have some crafty, fantastic midfielder who can slip balls through, but they might not be able to do that in the SEC because the SEC, if you just get an athlete, they're going to be able to compete and succeed and help your mm. team, but they might not be able to kick a ball. <laughs> you know, like, and that's unfortunate. Like We would like to play some soccer, and sometimes in the SEC you lose that, but it's still a super competitive. Like Those teams are hard to play, and they might be good at soccer, and some might not, but I can't take that kid and put them on that team, whereas here I can take some of those and make sure that there's a balance of enough athleticism to be successful. And that's that's got to be, I mean, like the ongoing quandary for college soccer, not just women's college soccer, but you know, because when when you describe players like that, like obviously once you go pro, yeah, you know, for the most part, you want that crafty midfielder. That we've we've even seen kind of the comparison of European soccer to NWSL. Sure. That NWSL, you know needs an athlete more than those other ones, but you right. can't survive in any of those leagues without being able to actually kick a ball. Yes. You know, so it's just, it, I, I'm so intrigued to see what's going to happen next with college soccer, especially as NWSL evolves, um, is on track for expansion, at least, you know, Louisville coming in for 2021, so more opportunities. The growth of European soccer, which means NWSL needs to stay competitive, so, you know, uh, you know, I think about, you know, you, your first year at the Dash as a training player making nothing, right? right. Um, that same position now would be a supplemental player making minimum salary right. and being offered housing and, you know, all that stuff. So it's like just those changes in a small amount of time. It's, it's like, but, but what happens next with college soccer? I mean, there's talk about uh, moving to a two-season schedule. Yeah. So what are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. College soccer is interesting to me because I think, like, over time you've gotten, I think, more players that have made more teams better. So, like, the SEC when I was playing, the bottom couple teams were competitive enough to give you a game, but you weren't really concerned you were going to drop that game. And now, like, any game you show up to in the SEC, you can lose. And, like, soccer, of course, you can always win or lose, but it is like you were expected to beat certain teams. Or ACC with Arkansas I mean, upsetting North Carolina this it, season. So it's there's a lot more of that going on, but you still have the top six teams that all the elite players, like really elite yeah. players, are going to. And so when I look at like the two-season model, I think that's fantastic for the health of players. I think like as a coach, that's great. We're preparing and actually training. We're not just recovering, recovering, get their legs moving, get ready for the next game, play, play again. It's just that's not a healthy way to play. But I'm not convinced that the players would want to do it. I think that's a long time to be committed to your sport and however many actually want to go pro or have the ability. Yeah, relative to the number of people that can go pro. When you've yes. got, what, 333 Division One. programs that's a lot of soccer players right and so that's a ton of players and how many actually get drafted that you would know this better than me of how many get drafted (laughs) and how many stay on a team and make it through and I just think that the demand for that from a player side I don't think they would. It's not there yet. I don't know that we're committed enough. I think our players are super committed to wanting to win, but I think that is a long time to balance your school, your and your athletics and your social life. And that and that's a good point where I think it's it's easy for us to forget that all of this is tied to the academic component, you know. And also, when you said to be committed to your sport, it made me think. Well, you know, what other sports, you know, really go more than a semester? It's a good right. Like there's. It's a yeah. season, so it's it's yeah. 
hopefully that that decision, whenever that is made, won't be made lightly. And I know it's the kind of thing that how things work, it'll be discussed and discussed and discussed, and won't won't be a, a you know somebody flipping a switch and suddenly the schedule's like that. But right, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, last last question for you. I mean, looking at at, at NWSL when you played and looking at NWSL now, I mean, what kind of advice would you give? players you know your players or, or other players that came to you going you know should i go pro should i go pro in the u.s should i go over to norway or sweden i mean yeah that's a good question uh i would always tell like one of my players just came to talk to me about it recently of like what do you think about this and i was like oh absolutely do it like and i'm a soccer coach saying that where my day-to-day i wear shorts and a t-shirt i go to practice every day this is awesome <laughs> I, I, it's a job and i can't believe it like it's great and i love my day-to-day but i still think about like oh i could still be playing and traveling and living somewhere and like the the biggest thing i have to deal with is how do i do in practice today am i playing in the games like that is awesome that is a great life and you get to travel and meet unbelievable people so I definitely tell people to do it. I just think it really depends what you want out of the experience. You have to decide, like, do I want to be the best I can possibly be and play at this level, get to the end of yourself, play on the national team? Do I want to do that? Or do I want to go play in Europe and try to get to the Champions League? Like, is that is that my goal? Or is my goal to be, like... I want to travel and have fun. Yeah, be, be, be the journeyman soccer player where There's it's like, yeah, season in Iceland, season in Australia, yeah. you know, and some of them are like Turkey and I think Kazakhstan. and. There's a ton of opportunities yeah. around. And if, like, if that's what you want, then you can kind of decide which route to go based on that. And like when I went to Norway, I was like, I want to get back to the end of your cell. I want to play. I want to play at a high level. So that was what I did. I didn't really travel. And then like now I look back, I'm like, I probably could have changed my mindset a little and still tried to be very good, mm-hmm. but like enjoy the experience a little bit more than I'm probably allowed myself to. Mm-hmm. And you can, but it, it just depends what, if you decide I want to travel, then you, maybe I go live in like, and play in somewhere in like mainland Europe and I can take trains to other places or Australia because I want the English speaking country. And yeah. like, so I just think it, it all depends on what you want out of it, then it's absolutely worth it. But it is also a difficult, kind of can be lonely life. So you have to be willing to jump out of your comfort zone. It's going to be very uncomfortable at times. Yeah, and it, and it's growing every year. So it's it, I feel like the opportunities are more and more. And it's not growing in the suddenly everyone's going to be rich. But when you think of the number of women who can actually make a living, Right. And, and I would say when I say living, I mean like a decent living for someone in their early to mid twenties. Right. Right. It's not for the most part, it hasn't grown beyond that yet. Right. But even that is something that 10 years ago we didn't have. Right. Yeah. So. I think it's when my player last week, two weeks ago asked me about it. I was like, well, I mean, you're not really going to put any money in your savings account. <laughs> But it's going to be fun, and you'll you'll be able to survive on it. But you do have to also factor that in. Would you would you like to have money in your savings account <laughs> in four years? Then maybe you need to make a different decision. Yeah, good point. <laughs> well coached. Yeah. Well, Meg, thanks so much for taking the time to chat, and and good luck with your coaching career. Thank you. time to wrap it up with the back four end of a cell college draft 2020 is set for baltimore maryland next thursday january 16th part of the big united soccer coaches convention uh the draft is open to the public free to attend most of the convention you do have to be registered and have a credential to get into the draft is not like that Anyone can attend the draft. We had a lot of Chicago fans there last year. It was great. Hoping we'll see a lot of Washington Spirit fans there this year. And the draft will stream live. Um, more details should be available very soon on NDBCLSoccer.com, so keep an eye on that. Also, tickets for Olympic qualifying. You want to be buying those tickets now. Olympic qualifying starts later this month in Texas, USA, playing their group games in Houston, Canada, 
playing their group games down south in the Rio Grande Valley. 20 players will be named to the final roster for each team for this CONCACAF tournament. But note the players do not have to be on the CONCACAF qualifying roster to be eligible for the Olympic roster this summer. Semifinals and final will be played in L.A., you can find out uh, more ticketing info at ussoccer.com. And the U.S. games, at the very least, should be available live via one of the NBC Sports channels as NBC holds the right to uh, Olympic sports. And if you're thinking of heading to Houston for the USA's group games, you should be aware there's a great Dash ticket bundle. You can get the Dash home opener, which will likely be April, and any U.S. women's game of your choice from the tournament as one package with the price being either 37 or 57 depending on the seating location. That's a great deal. Just call Dash Ticket Rep Jay Adelberg at 713-276-7529. And last, be sure to check out KeeperNotes.com as I've been adding more content, including Photos from NWSL games, mostly lots of great stat links um, and occasionally some stories. Um, I have the current draft order posted. I have the history of the draft posted and even current uh, rosters by club, which I'm trying to update as we keep hearing all of these uh, moves. So keepernotes.com is definitely something you want to bookmark. All right, that's it for this episode, the first episode of 2020. I can't believe I've been doing this now for six years, um, almost every week for six years. <laughs> thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone for sharing this podcast with a friend. And many thanks, as always, to Sean for putting this all together. But now she's at-